the future. So cool, right? All of those amazing new innovations that are going to make life even better. Like, wouldn't it be great to have a car that changes color to match your mood? Oh, wait, even better, your outfit. Buick is thinking about the future every single day. A future built around you with super smart Buick EVs that can make your life even better. And it's all out there waiting. So let's go to the future together. Join us at buick.com slash future. What a guest we have today. But before that, remember, if you like what you hear, please do share it with your friends, whatever way you like. This podcast can be irregular, so make sure that you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you downloaded this one. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you rate it and leave a lovely review on iTunes, as this really does help other people to find it. Here's the terrible music. Hello, you are very welcome to another episode of Fascinated. My guest today, I have to say it, he is one of my favourite guests of all the episodes that I've done. He is the actor James Dreyfus. If you're a fan of Mount Pleasant, which was on Sky, you will know that James has been playing the Reverend Roger for the past five years. The series just ended there last week with a 90-minute special. James was a relatively successful jobbing actor when he was cast in the third and what was then touted, I think, as the final series of Absolutely Fabulous. He played the role of Adina's hairdresser, Christopher, who was going to help her and Patsy organise an orgy. He was absolutely hilarious and they brought the character back in the special The Last Shout. After that, he was cast opposite Rowan Atkinson in the Ben Elton series The Thin Blue Line. He played the naive and hapless Constable Kevin Goody. <laughs> he went on to appear in the movie Notting Hill and then opposite Kathy Burke in Gimme Gimme Gimme. If you don't know Gimme Gimme Gimme, it was a sitcom that very quickly went from being critically panned to a cult hit and then a mainstream smash hit. James played Tom Farrell, a struggling gay actor who shared a flat with loudmouth Linda LaHughes, who quite simply assumed she was gorgeous. Pisces. A telephone call brings good news, and it's an excellent day for travel. What are you again? Stunning. <laughs> Leo, avoid wearing miniskirts. You look like a stupid fat cow in the mower. It was over-the-top, camp, outrageous and hilarious. Gimme 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 was written by Jonathan Harvey, who also wrote Beautiful Thing. As well as starring, Cathy Burke also served as the script editor, and it was very, very funny. But the 90s was a time when gay magazines were pushing an image that was sophistication, style, condescension and impeccable taste. And that was everything that Gimme 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 wasn't. The gay press went for James in a really big way. It was a personal attack and it was a dick move. The media pitched the show against Will and Grace, its shinier transatlantic cousin. And you were kind of one or the other. It was kind of like the neighbours home and away battle of the 80s, only a little bit more pathetic to be honest. While the critics raged against it, the series was extremely successful. So much so that it moved from BBC Two to BBC One for its final season. 
But it wasn't the first or last series to be loved by the public and hated by the media. Today, whenever it gets mentioned in the press, gay or otherwise, it's always really fondly and steeped in nostalgia. When she received her British Comedy Award in 2002, Cathy Burke made it very clear how she felt in what I think is the greatest ever acceptance speech. Oh, this is nice. It's about fucking time, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm really chuffed. It's one fuck all gimme gimme. <laughs> Everyone hates it, apart from the public. I think we've all got to, you know, leave the Groucho and just sit at home and watch telly like normal people and then you'll appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Many thanks mainly to uh, James Dreyfus, who got a right slag off them from the gay press for doing uh, gimme gimme and fuck them. And, um, <laughs> If you haven't seen the full thing, check it out on YouTube. Cathy has since retired from acting and is now a director. When she announced this retirement, she did say that she would return to acting if the Gimme 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 live show happened. But sadly, this has never materialised. Midway through Gimme Gimme Gimme, James was contacted out of the blue by representatives of Bette Midler. They told him Bette was a fan and she wanted to give him a job. A really big job. At the time Bette Midler was developing a sitcom playing a larger-than-life or maybe not-so-larger-than-life version of herself. Besides Bette, there were four other roles. The husband, the daughter, her manager and James would play Oscar, her musical director. Oh, all right, let's start all over again. Okay. Hi, I'm Bette. Hello, I'm Oscar. <laughs> the musical director. That's right. Ah. Here is my resume. Oh, thank you, thank you. My, my, very impressive. Is it true? <laughs> A lot of it's true, I don't <laughs> As you will hear from James, this became the adventure of a lifetime. When I first contacted James, we chatted over email before the interview. He mentioned that he does consider himself to be now semi-retired from the ghastly world of show business, even though he has worked consistently in theatre and television. I think if he does stop acting, it'll be a terrible loss to the profession. He's a brilliant actor with a really broad range, though he does admit that he finds himself pigeonholed as a comedy actor. The problem is, he is effortlessly funny. But I saw him play the MC in Cabaret and he was genuinely terrifying. I met him a few weeks ago at his home in West London and he is just absolutely lovely and everything that you would expect and yet different to any of the roles that I've seen him play. This was definitely one of my favourite chats. You're going to absolutely love him if you don't already. It's the fantastic James Dreyfus. Uh, so how are you? Very well, thank you. Very well, very well We're indeed. dipping our toe into podcasting. <laughs> yes, I know. We, I know. I've just learned the difference between podcast and YouTube channel, so I'm, I'm quite happy. It's, it's just a confidence podcast. level, I think. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you were in uh, Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant. The yes. That you were playing Reverend Roger. When you finish a series like that, mm. six years, what are you thinking? Like, do you, do you have a plan of, as to what you're going to do next or what you'd like to do next? Well, you always have a plan of what you'd like to do next, but it never, ever, ever turns out like that. So um, I always get quite suspicious to people saying, you know, oh, I chose to do this project um, or I chose to do that project. It's very rare you get to choose anything. It's a question of being called up and say, they'd quite like to meet you for this. And then there's nothing else going on. So you go, yeah, OK, I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the honest truth. <laughs> I do find that as well. I get very um, 
it's, it's very easy to get very sanctimonious about the things you want to do and the things you don't want to do and then you yeah. think well there's a mortgage payment yeah, <laughs> yeah. and especially so they will do stand up for some accountants yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly I mean but that's the only way you can survive nowadays that you can't you really can't especially now it's become so difficult that uh, being picky is uh, kind of doesn't really work out you know yeah very early you won the Olivier Award, didn't you, for the... the uh, I won uh, the Olivier Award in 96, I think. Okay, so... Yeah, that was 96, and that was for um, a musical called Lady in the Dark at uh, the National, which we did... Um, yeah, I did win it quite early. Because I trained at RADA between 87 and 90. Was that always on the cards? Well, it was always on the cards. I'd always wanted to go. Uh, uh, That was the place that I I was... Because that always used to be, you know, in my mind, the top drama school or something. But I auditioned for other drama schools just on the basis that, you know, it might not work out. So I was very lucky that it did work out the first time round. It takes a couple of times. I think it's more or less to do with, you know, numbers and uh, how many people. Uh, yeah. And also whether you're having a good day or a bad day. You might go in and give a, you know, a great yeah. performance one day. You might go in and give a really shit one the yeah. next day. Do you remember what you did for your audition? I do, yeah. I, I did the Iago and it was Captain Hastings, Hugh Fraser from Poirot, who was auditioning me that day. And he was the one that got me through the different... There's three different stages to oh, get in. Right. Yeah, he was the guy that got me. In. I always stop him whenever I see him and say, "You got me into Rada." Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And when you got out of Rada, what was your first job? What was the one that you thought, "Oh, thank God"? Oh, uh, oh, oh, okay. First uh, out of Rada was um, uh, Harrogate Rep. Harrogate Rep. Okay. Yeah. And I did uh, with Graham Norton. I did. We were there together for a season, and we were in pantomime together. And uh, we were snowed in, so we spent Christmas Day together in this cheap, nasty, dirty little flat where you had to keep putting fifty peas into the into the gas meter. We'd boiled a chicken and put it on the stove and sat there in party hats with streamers <laughs> <laughs> alone on Christmas Day. Uh, up in Harrogate, so um, yeah, that Panto, was... the happiest time in the world. Well, it, I tell you something, we did have, we had a laugh. Okay. We did, we did nothing but laugh. <laughs> yeah. In 1996, that was when you got the job in Absolutely Fabulous. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. That was the sort of first sort of big thing, and um, I get that was the kind of launching pad for everything else, really. So, uh, and it was, um, well, it was sort of my dream to work with Jennifer Saunders, having, you know, been a big fan of the French and Saunders and the comic strip. And yeah. So, um, yeah, I was extremely lucky to get that. I read that you did, because you, you drive the Mini in that when they're <laughs> Yeah, the well, drive. You didn't <laughs> yeah. drive at the time. No, I lied and said I could drive. And then when I, because I thought I'm not losing this job just because I can't drive a flipping Mini. So I got, I got there and um, the guy said, right, so you take the Mini. And I stopped him and I grabbed him and I said, no, you've, you've just got to let me, you've got to show me how to drive. What do I do? <laughs> and he went, you're, you're fucking joking me. And I said, no, seriously. He said, you've got Jennifer Saunders, June Whitfield and Joanna Lumley in the back of the car and you're telling me you can't drive. So you had to give me a lesson for 10 minutes. <laughs> and eventually I got it. I actually, uh, I, I was learning guitar a while ago and I thought, you know, I should, I should update my actor's CV <laughs> yeah. to say that I can play the guitar. And it was actually, it was on it. It was already on it. Oh, it was. Like, oh, I'm on it. 
<laughs> and it's never a good idea because people say, so you can play the guitar. Mm, yeah, I can. In you go, yeah, yeah, in you go. Just give that a go. Then that was the same time that you did the Thin Blue Line. It was right. Thin Blue Line came uh, right after Abfab and it was thanks to Ben Elton's wife, Sophie. And she was the one who recommended them to see me for the Thin Blue Line. Um, so, yeah, it came sort of out of Abfab. And w- was comedy on the... You know, there's, there's actors that you... It's pretty obvious they're going to go drama and they're going to go comedy. Did you have the funny bone? Well, I, I, I still, I, people thought I did, and I kind of thought I did. But I didn't think that it was going to go... I didn't think my career was going to start off uh, with that. Because it wasn't just comedy. It was a very specific type of comedy. It was an over-the-top... It was an extreme form of comedy. It was yeah. character. So it wasn't naturalistic comedy that you see all the time now. It was It was always, you know, Abfab is over the top. Yeah. Thin Blue Lime is over the top. Uh, give me, give me, give me, over the top. So I got sort of caught in that very over the top comedy early on, which um, I'm not sure in many ways has been very helpful, but um, in the long run. But yeah. it's just the way things happened. And actually, to be honest with you, I was working with, my heroes, you know, Ben Elton and, and Rowan Atkinson and uh, people like that. So actually, I didn't really, at that time, I just was enjoying it for the ride, really. Yeah, and when you do something like that and you do get a laugh, it's just so, you're like, oh, oh okay, yeah. But you do, you do sometimes feel as well that you're, um, like, I could get stuck in this. I could, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, it is so heady as well. But I didn't really mind. I, I, at that time, I just thought, I, di- I, I didn't mind... Uh, it, when it when I started to sort of um, think when Thin Blue Line came out and people started referring to Goody as the gay policeman, I, that's when I became quite confused about it because I I was I I well, my intention was to make him like Frank Spencer, yeah, um, who you never thought was gay, you just thought he was very camp and and and, and silly and and innocent, yeah. So that was that was my intention for Goody. But it didn't turn out like that to be. Didn't he had a? Yes, he had. Was there a love interest? The, yes, there the, was a. There was a, a female love interest. Yes, yes, Habib. Yeah, <laughs> but but again, it's this it's this thing that of you know, of, especially back in those days of sort of camp being equated with being gay. And my argument was always, yeah, but I know so many camp boys who are straight as they come, and I know so many straight acting. Uh, Boys who yeah. are gay, it can't doesn't automatically mean gay, and so I, I got a bit confused by it, and that's when I began to think, oh, oh, it's <laughs> yeah, it's moved into other territory now. But I, like I said, I I wouldn't I, I wouldn't change it for the world because I was working with people I really wanted to work with. Did, did it affect your choice of stuff then that was coming in? Well, the the the, the stuff that was coming in was was then all. Uh, Comedy based because uh, uh, I worked quite a lot with Alexi Sale. Um, oh, on the sketch show, show, that's right. I worked on his sketch show, and then um, the writers of Father Ted, uh, before they wrote Father Ted, wrote a sitcom called Paris, which was with Alexi Sale and Neil Morrissey. And we did a series of that. And it wasn't picked up, but uh, it was picked up, it was shown, but then it wasn't, they didn't recommission it. Uh, and and then they were writing Father Ted as they were filming that, and that was their next okay. big thing. So uh, all, all I was doing really was was doing bits and pieces with other comedy um, people. So with Lenny Henry and uh, and like I said, quite a lot with Alexi. So 
once you get into comedy as well it's that reaction I think it's, it's different it's so immediate and there's so much approval in comedy and I yes. and when I hate comedy like when I just think oh I just don't want to do this don't make yeah. me do this again yeah. I I just think I wish I didn't need <laughs> I know that I didn't need a room full of people to go we like you I know I know but you know what the odd thing is 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 coming from the world of comedy you know and, and thinking god if I don't get that laugh you know like you know yeah. I don't get that laugh and I don't get it in the same place the next night and you know you think you think oh god I wish I was just doing serious stuff but actually when you're doing serious stuff you want the opposite. You want total silence in the audience. And when you don't get the total silence in the audience, you react in the same way as not getting a laugh in comedy. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, Someone yeah. coughed at that moment. It means I wasn't being... Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's not really an area to run away from. Okay. If you've got funny bones and, and you're funny, you, you, you kind of got to keep... Yeah, that's where you have to keep pushing. I guess so, yeah. It's so, I, I did something recently where I had to do a talk, like just a talk, where, where there, there was no laughs, there wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be laughs, and uh, uh, I've done a few of them since, and the, I think it's got better, but the notion of standing there with people not giving you the continuous feedback, yeah. like, yes, we're still with you, Yeah, it was just terrifying. I, I think the idea of actually going and doing a play would, I think I'd be a basket case by the end of did, it. Did you try and put comedy in it, mm. into the talk? Um, not really. Um, I just thought, okay, what well, what needs to be said, right? You know, and then you just do it that way. Going, oh, I'm sure they'll just appreciate me for yeah. what this is, and I'm sure they did. But at the same time, I thought, oh, like every cell in my body was <laughs> saying, you know, you're dying here, you're dying here. Quick, do something yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pop a hip and slag someone off at yeah. the front. <laughs> 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 oh God! Um, so gimme, gimme, gimme. Came yeah. along, which was just, uh, I just think Gimme 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 was one of the best sitcoms I think that has ever been made. Yeah, it was fun. I it was good. loved every bit of it. But you want to know something? When, when, when it first came out, it was slated. Absolutely slated. And, yeah. um, you know, Jonathan Harvey and Kathy worked very hard to, you know, evolve it over the three series. Um and I think it's sort of one of those things that's appreciated over time. And when you look at some of the things you've got now, um, you sort of look, can look back at it and go, oh, those are the days when we could say anything we wanted. I know. <laughs> Do anything we wanted. It was, it's bizarre because when you look back at that, uh, there was a few, there's a few things that, that stand out straight away. Because mm. I think it was around the same time as Will and Grace. Yes, it was. It was just before Will and Grace, actually. Yeah. The first episode. And I remember, the, I do remember the time reading reviews that were, like, really terrible. Yeah. And I didn't understand it. And I remember you getting a, a, a real... A uh, real spanking. Lambasting from gay press. From gay press, yeah. Like, I don't think that would ever happen now. Well, I just think it was a different time. I think in, maybe in some ways... It was, I always said it was slightly ahead of its time because the point, the, uh, the point that Jonathan and I and Kathy were quite keen to make was the fact that Tom's sexuality was irrelevant. He, was, he behaved like that because he was a bad actor. That's why the cho they, they chose to make him an actor. So he could be over the top and he could be ridiculous and he could be horrible. Um, his sex, but he was never once 
ashamed or in the closet about his sexuality. His sexuality was secondary. And I think it was that knee-jerk reaction uh, um, to seeing, you know, a, a gay man who wasn't played, uh, you know, you can't play a character like that ultra straight. I mean, uh, you know, just without yeah. moving your arms around or anything. You just can't do it. So, yeah, yeah. And it was that over the top. It's a, it was basically a cartoon is what it was. Yeah, it, it seemed like pantomime. It was. That's, the other thing that I think looking back is Gimme 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 stands up. And I think it's interesting because if you look back at a lot of the early episodes of Will and Grace, mm. they don't stand up at all. Really? Which I was really surprised by. Because with the reboot, uh, you know, that they reboot, yes. they're, re- they're bringing it back. Or not the reboot, they're, they're picking it up again. I went back and I watched the fir- episodes from the first season and didn't. Really? Like, this. Is not what I remember at all. And I, I think it was season three before I started to go, all oh, right. But you see, Will and, I went to see a recording of Will and Grace um, in LA when I was working over there. And I left because it was so... To watch it being recorded was so ghastly because everyone gets a round of applause after each line and the hysteria was over the top. They were well-known co- uh, characters. And actually, I was watching it thinking, this was nothing like Gimme Gimme. The only... The only sane thing about this and Gimme 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 was was the fact that there were gay characters. There was gay yeah. characters in it, but it's actually nothing like Gimme Gimme Not it, at in all. tone and the. I mean, Gimme Gimme Gimme, like I said, was a pantomime cartoon. It was supposed to be ridiculous and over the top. And but what the point Jonathan was was trying to make was this is why he was so keen on the guy was an actor was that uh, he he wanted the, the gayness to sort of almost be. A side issue. Yeah. And so, yes, I did. I got absolutely castrated by the gay press. I I have a theory about it, which could be rubbish. But do you think there was an element of classism in that? In what what way? In the sense, well, in Will and Grace, it was all very affluent. It was all very shiny. Everyone was brilliantly dressed. And there was kind of this postmodern... Yes, you're right. Thing going on in the 90s where everyone saw themselves as David Beckham's, I think. And, yes. And when Grimmy Gimmy was a bit grimy, it yes. was, you know, the characters were grotty. And it, do you think that, that that could be it, that it was gay people are, you know, were above this almost? Um, I'm not sure. I'm thing. not sure. No, I don't. I, I, I'm not sure it was that. I, I, I think it was. Um, I, I think it was, a, you know, a lot was expected of it because it had, you know, one of the country's best love actresses. Uh, in it who was you know at the peak of her powers and 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 everything and I think people were expecting something different uh, 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 than what they got you know I mean Kathy was very insistent that she uh, that Linda LaHughes was going to be played that way and uh, she wanted she always wanted to push the barriers further and further as did I as did Jonathan um, but she was very insistent on wanting it to be silly and lovable and stupid and over the top so i i I think the only and i I don't think people were expecting that at all so i think it was a mixture of going oh uh, yeah what's this in addition to the fact that oh there's another mr grace uh uh, mr what's his name um Slocum, Slocum. No, yes, Mrs. Slocum's pussy. And, oh, yes, yeah. And Mr. I'm free, you know, and that. And it it, it wasn't that. that it, the campness wasn't the same as, uh, uh, I can't remember his name now, John Inman's character. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't all about sashaying around with a limp wrist. It was, 
it, it was something to, I just people I don't think people really knew what to do with it and of course don't forget at that time the gay press anytime there was a gay character in anything they'd try and claim it as their own you know and say no this is ours and we we can comment on this but you can't we're we can. okay and uh, which I, I always thought was um, a bit pathetic but uh, you know they had their opinion and I think it's sort of slightly changed over the years well, I think it's changed enormously over the years. Um, I mean, but that program wouldn't be made in the same way now. I don't think because it was ed- it was edging for different reasons as well. There was uh, a scene that actually just popped into my head there, of uh, where Kathy Burke's character was crossing the road and she knocks a baby into somebody's arms. Yeah, which <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that that would that definitely wouldn't happen in a sitcom. Today, no, no, it probably no wouldn't. Way. No, no, it wouldn't. Um, uh, I, I, I also don't think you'd have uh, anyone dressed in a pink burqa uh, being called Fatwa, dancing in a nightclub, uh, twerking uh, onto her black Probably name. not. Uh, I, I don't think that would happen now no. either. I mean, we did get a... By, episode, by series three, we were able to get away with quite a lot. I mean, because it was never done in malice. It was never... No, no. Nothing no. was ever malicious. It was... It, it, was it, it just sort of escalated in, in stupidity and vulgarity, which... I mean, you must have had... It must have been an absolute screen recording that and made yeah, We did have fun. We did have fun uh, doing it. We also... No, we did. I mean, Kathy, working with Kathy is one of the highlights of my life because we we worked together on stage. We'd done a Molière together, believe it or not. We'd done the hypochondria on tour around oh the country. God. Yeah. Was that long before? That was about... I think that was a year, two years before. So we got to know each other very well. And then it was Jonathan who had the idea of putting us together. And um, we get each other. I, I mean, uh, on stage or acting with it, we we just know what each other are, are about to do. So it, it is one of the highlights of my career of anything is, is working with her. We have to mention the fact that it was hugely popular. Yes, it was it, massive. I mean, they moved it from BBC Two to BBC BBC One, yes. because it was doing such massive numbers. Yes, yes, it did. I mean, yes, it, yes, it really did. It, it sort of, it ballooned quite quickly. It runs and runs. Yeah, and yeah still no, exactly. on. <laughs> but it, nauseam it, on them. If you click on it, you can't help but stay with it for the end of an episode. I mean, it's yeah. Just well, it's 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 got, it's still got that sort of. There's something very nostalgic. Something very seventies about it. There's something very. Uh, you know, all the colours are sort of mustard yellow and lime yeah. green and. It all looks a bit youth Joyce. Uh, maybe that's why. Maybe that's actually why it it's it is sustained. Is because it looked even back then. It looked yes, slightly dated. <laughs> yes, and maybe that date that datedness doesn't date. Do you know yeah, what I'm I know saying? exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So th- there is something about it, um, you know. And also, you know, we had to also don't forget um, Brian Bavell and Beth Goddard and. Um, um, Oh yeah, as Jeff and Beryl, uh, uh, oh you, you know, we had, we had a, we had a really really good um, company, really. Well, it was the five of us basically, and then fantastic guest stars uh, that Kathy kept um, getting in for it. So we had to, we did have a blast. I mean, we really did have a blast filming it. Was it after season two of that that you went to Los Angeles? Yeah, I went to Los Angeles to do... Uh, I, I, I went out there because I happened to go to get a job out there. So I didn't go out there just to look. I knew I had to come back and do series three. 
Okay, so you knew it was going to continue. Yeah, okay. yeah, we, okay, we yeah. knew it was going to go on. So I went over to do, but what we, what I didn't know was that uh, the show I'd gone to work with in America was going to finish so soon. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to ask, where do you remember the moment when you got a phone call to say that the Divine Miss Anne has summoned you to New York to talk about being in her sitcom? Uh, yeah, I do remember that. And I was like, uh, uh, what? And she said, yeah, she's a big fan of, um, uh, she loved uh, Ab Fab and loved Jennifer Saunders and loved, blah, blah, blah. so she was a big, big fan of that. So I had to, they said, they want you to come to LA and, and go and have lunch with her. So, um, or did I have to audition first? I can't remember. I did have to read for it. I, and then I had to do an audition in front of 50 executives in a private little cinema. Um, I had to do that. Good God. Then I had to go and meet her at her house with Bonnie Bruckheimer, who was the producer, and uh, and to do an actual reading, you know, with her to see if we got on. And um, So in front of the executives in the cinema? Yeah. That was just you? Yeah, that was just me on a, on a stage with someone reading with me uh, at the scene. Okay. And it was all the executives sort of sitting there... You know, thankfully they were very warm and they responded very well. But if they hadn't, I think it would have been possibly one of the worst days of my life. I would imagine. Yeah. Good God. Yeah, it was horrendous. Yeah. So then you went to meet Bet. I went to meet Bet, and and then I flew back to England, and then I got a phone call saying, "Yes, they want you to come and do uh, film the pilot." And so I went back, and I filmed the pilot, and Lindsay Lohan was the playing. She only did the pilot, but she was playing the daughter. She was 12, I think, at the time. Uh, she was the daughter of Bet. Uh, of, um, yeah, of Bet. So we did the pilot. And then I think we had to wait a while. Then I think I came back. And then, they, and then they said, yes, it's been commissioned. So I had to sign for seven years. Uh, I think wow. they make you sign that, actually, before you do the audition. So, so, but I was sort of thinking, I don't know. It won't do seven years if it does two or three that would be great yeah and did you tell the give me give me people that you'd sign a seven years? yeah yeah I, yeah absolutely but it was all in tandem because there would be breaks oh okay yeah. in it to to be able to go things so you know it was never a question i wasn't going to come back and, and do the, know, third, do one. the yeah. third one um uh, it's just uh, i was back much earlier <laughs> than i thought because we i was there for about a year and a half we I think we did. We, we got cancelled after our 18th episode. Yeah. Okay. So that's what, that's about <laughs> 20 weeks, is it? Or... <laughs> no, no, no. For some reason, we had, a, we had two weeks to rehearse and do, do it. Then we had two to three weeks off. And then we do another thing. So it was spread over a very, very long period of time. Okay. For filming. Uh, it, it, I mean, you've never seen anything like it. it like 20 writers working around the clock rewriting 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 I mean it was extraordinary how much money yeah because I've seen I've seen season one of that because like, well, there only is season one only... <laughs> in fact it's I've not seen, even a full season one I've seen the complete bet yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, it was I mean the, the the cast was great I can't remember the, the name of the actress that played her best friend oh Joanna Gleeson Joanna Gleeson I've seen yeah. her in um uh, dirty Rotten Scoundrels yes. she, Oh she's amazing she's, She yeah. is one of the greatest And don't you remember her performance in um, Boogie Nights Yes oh yes Well I thought she stole the film and she was only in it for Three minutes 
she played the mother of Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, she was incredible. Yeah, she is absolutely. Yeah. What was it like then working with Bette Midler? I mean, was that was that intimidating or was it? Yeah, it was. No, it was intimidating. Well, I wasn't really. No, I. I, I no, to be honest, with you, no. <laughs> I'm. I'm. I, no, I know very little about musicals. I know very little okay. about uh, Bette Midler. I mean, I knew her basically from The Rose, the film The Rose. Okay. That was my experience of her, and also, you know, from her um, seeing her the videos of her uh, on stage by herself. But I didn't yeah. really know a lot. Of yeah, her. yeah. Um, yes, and of course, it's intimidating because she's. Um, well, I mean, she's just. You can't get bigger than Bette Midler. But she was very. She was actually always terribly nice to me. I think because she likes English people. She's married to an Englishman. Oh right. And I think she. There's something about the English sort of sense. And so I found myself becoming more and more British. Because Oscar, your character was what he was. Very he British. was very British. Yeah, yeah they, and very dry. Very dry. Very dry. It was either. I think it was a. He was supposed to be based on Mark Shaman, who wrote. That, and Mark actually was there because at one point it was suggested he was going to play uh, himself. Character. Yeah, okay. he was going to play sort of himself, and that didn't work out. And uh, for some reason, they wanted to go sort of British, um, but that was all very last minute. Um, so it was. Uh, uh, they were actually t- terribly, terribly nice to me, um, and uh, I mean, I know there were problems that went on back back of the scenes they went through three husbands yeah and, I remember that actually. and two kids and so it all got a bit uh, funny towards the end but uh, you know she had a lot on her plate she was producing it as well and uh, you know it was it, it, as these things often are it was it all got a bit fraught towards the end but I certainly don't regret a second of it it must have been incredible it was I mean I had I couldn't I was sitting there on days I'd, go, I'd walk in and I'd I'd rented this huge house in the Hollywood Hills, opposite David Hockney. Oh wow! And next to Balthazar Getty, who were my neighbours, because I just I just thought to myself, look, this is never going to happen again. Just go and splurge. So I got this ridiculous house with a pool. I had all my friends who lived down in LA come up, and um, you know take care of it and live there. And, oh, wow! And and I turn up at work, and there would be Dolly Parton sitting there. And one day, and Olivia Newton-John the next. There were great guests. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they were. Re- yeah, it was unreal. And I'd be sitting there thinking, this it's, this seems so unreal. I'm just going to sit here and go with it. So nothing, and, and act very British, and act like it yeah. doesn't phase me at all. <laughs> you know, I think they sort of occasionally come up and just press me if I was still alive because I wouldn't look like I was phased by anything. But of course I was. Yeah. Um, and I, do, I must say, I had two of the best years of my life. Um, um, was the cancellation, um, <clears throat> because it, it was spread out, but did you see it coming down the tracks? Like, did you always know? Oh, yeah. This, this yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we saw it. Uh, I Well, yes, we all saw it, um, I think, about 11, 12 episodes in. Put it like this. I remember the day when I got the call. I remember thinking, yeah, okay. I, all I said was, okay, thanks, Bye. And I hung up and I, I didn't even give it another second's thought. Wow. That's how much I must have been expecting. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> You're yeah. just... Yeah. And when... So you must have had a lot of free time in Los Angeles. I had so much free time it was out of this world. Yeah. It's a dream job. It really was a dream job. I mean, you don't usually get time off like that. I mean, but this was quite a special... 
you know, my, I, I, I'm very lucky to say I went there and I had a really special job and a really good time. And I didn't go through any of the humiliations that a lot of people <laughs> have to go through. But I, once I'd finished, I was like, you know, I didn't want to hang around in L.A. and do the whole rounds. You know, it, it's a very hard thing to be over there when you don't have a job lined up. And, yeah. I, and I wasn't sort of prepared mentally to go through that whole circuit of... I just didn't want it. No. So um, in retrospect, it all worked out quite well because I, I now look back and I think, God, God, actually, you were so lucky. You had such a, a blast that uh, I don't actually remember half of it at all. Brilliant. I had to. I watch episodes of it now and think, I don't remember that bit with the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. It was yeah. It was. It really was. It did look like something that they were throwing everything at. Oh, they did. Oh, yeah. They I mean, did. they like the flashback scenes uh, to her different looks from the. You know, they were yeah. So, they were so funny. Yeah, they were brilliant. They were, and Joanna Gleeson, again, I think stole. Oh yeah, she was so often. She's yeah, she's just. I mean, with one she's line. So understated. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. It was just absolutely brilliant. So um, no, it was a blast. I must say, it was a real blast. <laughs> and it was nice, I suppose, to come back to. It gets cancelled, and then you come back to Los Angeles to UK <coughs> to season three of Gimme Gimme Gimme, exactly. which had moved to BBC One and was at the height of its powers. It, no, absolutely right. It was I when I when we finished um, Bet, I had a couple of months, so we drove across. Me and some friends drove across the states a couple of times, coast to coast. So we saw the whole of the states. And it was good because I knew, you know, Series 3 was happening and we were coming back to do that. So maybe that took some of the edge off. I don't really remember. Yeah. But, I, but, I, but I don't remember feeling... Um, I don't remember... I remember I did an interview for a paper and I must have said something like it's disappointing because suddenly the next day there was a big headline which said Bette Midler ruined my Hollywood dreams oh, across the front and I was reading it thinking I, I didn't say that and, that and that's when I sort of thought of oh well you know they said so you know it must be difficult must be difficult for you uh, you know being over here and, and suddenly your, your dream of being in Hollywood is all over and I'd probably gone yeah it's a bit disappointing you know but I'm yeah yeah no I can imagine it's a yeah. bit disappointing I, that's what happened and suddenly there's this humiliating thing in the papers and I was like no it, it wasn't like that um, yeah so anyway and then come back and we did uh, series 3 which was my f personal favourite series because we loved all the flashbacks and we had we had little things that um, we knew we wanted to do like let's play a game me and Linda in the bedroom let's play a game okay well, let's play Emmerdale let's play uh, Coronation Street oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> those we were putting those in a lot we were doing flashbacks we were doing um, uh, dream sequences uh, which to me I just loved all that yeah it was oh, it was fantastic and the the last scene which I still I still don't know how I feel about it when Linda uh, Kathy Burke pulls off the wig well that that is all Kathy Kathy said <laughs> Kathy said I don't care what happens in this episode, but this is how we're ending it, is that she gets into bed, she takes off the <laughs> She takes off her hair. That was, she was adamant that was how it was going to end. And actually, uh, that is my favourite, one of my favourite bits. It's because, like, it is hilarious. Because it's sort of, it almost looks like a nothing ending. Yeah. But it also says quite a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And I, I remember a friend saying, what did that mean? 
or something. I don't know. I just thought maybe they were just no, I just, superficial. And he said, oh, because I thought it meant that he was leaving her on her own and she'd cancer. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, no, I don't think it meant that. <laughs> no, it didn't mean that. It really, I don't think it was as thought out as that. I just think it was an image that she knew would be very funny. You know, after the whole of the ginger hair was such yeah. a big thing of just to take it off and go to bed. I don't know if you remember, though, there were bits in it where people would actually, you'd hear people going, oh, that hurt. You know yeah. what I mean? I'd have some sympathy with her. I think my favourite line in the whole thing, because it did sum up for Cathy and I, uh, was when we were saying goodbye in the bedroom. And we're hugging and she's going, ah, we had a laugh, didn't we, Thomas? I mean, I know nobody else did, but we had a laugh, didn't we? (laughs) That was our sort of mantra. We didn't really care if anyone else didn't find it funny. We found it funny. It was, oh, it was great. But uh, Kathy Burke's speech when she got the British Comedy Award. Yes. Was one of the most incredible acceptance speeches I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. She referenced the, the trouble that you'd had with the gay press. Yeah. And she just said, fuck him. <laughs> it was, when you saw her give that speech, yeah. what was it like to watch her give that speech? Uh, I was so proud of her uh, because actually we had all been saying, I mean, I, her first line was, well, I think it's about, I think she, she started off by saying, well, it's about fucking time. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought, yes, because that's what we'd all been saying for so long. And, I, you know, and don't forget, she was quite hurt by all the criticism at the beginning. Um you know, because she's very loyal. And uh, her, the speech was typical Cathy. I mean, it, typical Cathy. It's exactly what she was feeling at the time. Because you don't get um, bullshit from Cathy. Yeah, she seems just so straight-laced. And well, she's just uh, straightforward. She, she's got no time for the lovey-dovey business. She She's just not interested. So, you know, that speech was actually what she'd probably say to you uh, in private, you know. Yeah. And she also, you know, people loved her for that speech. It was, it was really, it was absolutely brilliant. I think it's really funny, actually, and you might, you might actually quite enjoy this, is that if you Google now any of the reviews of Gimme, 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 yeah. particularly, I think it's the Guardian review, and I think they did a thing on uh, Kathy Burke's four-letter tirade, you right. know, of the, of the speech. Right. At the end of all the Guardian uh the old reviews uh, or old archive stuff they're asking that you know if you like this article and you want it to continue then you know you have to donate because newspapers are struggling and there's a link to donate <laughs> no really <laughs> I just think it's I thought it was very funny really <laughs> so you read this mean nasty, vicious assault yes. and then it's like we don't have some money, money. <laughs> <laughs> I knew they'd have that come up yeah, one, yeah, day. one day um so there was there was talk of the, that there would be a gimme 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 stage show, and it has yet to see the light of day. Do you uh, think it ever will? If it ever, if it if it ever, now this is a real hypothetical if, I would I'm assuming that's the only way it would come back would be for a just a, a, a like a bit like a sort of bottom show. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I'm not convinced that Cathy would want to do it. I'm not convinced that Jonathan would want to write it. Um, I think oh, we just all feel a bit sort of fat, old and lazy at the moment about 
doing it, or, or, or whether it's best just to leave it, leave it be. Everyone else seems to be resurrecting these flipping things, and you think, just leave it alone. So there, I know there is a part of all of us that would possibly like to do something like that again, but I know that there's a very cynical side to all of us, which yeah. sort of goes, should we? There was an article recently, I think it was an interview that you did with Cathy, I think it was for Attitude, maybe, or for Gay Times. Yeah, it was for one of those gay mags. And it really was very nostalgic about how great the whole thing was. And there was a part of me then that wondered if you if you felt very annoyed, I suppose, that they're looking at the nostalgia of the whole thing, going, oh, wasn't it wonderful? It's like, well, where were you when it <laughs> well, was... <laughs> well, well, this is it. I, I, yeah, I mean, there is a part of you which thinks... Yeah, you're all very snide then and you're all very nice now. But, you know, people grow up and and writers change and, you know, and, and, and things get reappraised. So, you know, I can, I can see it. I can see it. But I also do feel that there is a side, there's a side to the gay press that I don't trust because of how, I, I mean, I don't feel that they were very supportive of me, uh, supposedly this community based thing which I find is very much to do with how you look and how you yeah. um, how you know lovely your body is or this that and the other which I've always been quite critical of uh, and I never found growing up my experiences I never found them to be particularly um, supportive of me I found them to be actually quite hostile to me so I obviously I'm, I, I don't have a great a great opinion yeah. of them but at the same time um, uh, that doesn't bother me anyway because times have changed so much that you know I, d I don't really read gay magazines or gay things anymore I don't I, I'm not I'm so out of the loop on all that yeah that, that I don't really know what people are saying or you know uh, whether they are saying oh it's so nice to look back on it I, I, listen you can't fight City Hall and win yeah all the time so um, I, now I just sort of think oh well that happened and what 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 actually got me through all that really at the time was the so many ordinary people like taxi drivers and old people and kids and thing all the people who perhaps in the past would have thought oh it'd been a bit funny about the gay stuff and everything all said positive things to me all I heard was from people actually who it really mattered to hear that from yeah. it doesn't really matter I don't really care about hearing a queen saying oh look at her it does, yeah. that doesn't get my goat as much as uh, you know if it had come from a straight person who said god that yeah. changed my mind about something yeah exactly so there's it sort of swings and roundabouts it's, it, it's very interesting actually I was thinking about Mrs Brown's voice because it gets a lot of criticism, but when... Does it, it, does it really... I oh, don't... It does, yeah. I mean, people, why? What do people savage. say about it? I suppose it's about the, like, the acting and the writing and attack and it's, you know, X, Y, Z. But I think it's what they say about anything that's a massive hit that's a little bit broad. Yes, it's broad. Isn't it more to do with the fact that it, it's, it's colourful and it's broad? Yeah. I mean, because actually, I'm guessing that's kind of the same type of criticism we got. Yeah. Probably. Probably, because... It's in a similar situation in that it's just loved by, you know, just massive numbers, absolutely right. massive, um, and yet it's not it's not going to be the critics' choice. No, but then the critics, uh, the critics ne never really get it right. I mean, 
they just I mean Forty Towers was uh, you, uh, the the first showing of episode Forty Towers was slated in the press yeah. you know I, I mean you can't tell you've got to let things burn a bit you've got to see where it goes you you know you can't make things for critics and even critics would say you can't make things for critics true um, you know unless something is at the moment in that very sort of Ricky Gervais style of you know which everyone acts the same way and that sort of all right well yeah you act in that way unless you're which is very sort of still on vogue uh, unless you're doing something like that or it's mockumentary um, it's really not taken very seriously at all because that's considered sophisticated comedy and um, broad comedy is not well I would counter that by saying well what about Laurel and Hardy you know can yeah can, Exactly. Beat, beat the socks off um, <laughs> of that type of comedy any day of the week. But then what is also quite interesting is what was Extras? Well, Extras was basically Ricky Gervais as Oliver Hardy and uh, the Scottish Ashley Jensen as Laurel. If you look at some of their exchanges, it's exactly the same. It's got it, The influences from Laurel and Hardy are, are evident there. There's one particular scene where they're walking down the street and she says something about Heat magazine and he goes, oh yeah, because everyone, you know, you know, uh, everyone listens to that load of rubbish. And she goes, what are you talking about? Everyone reads Heat. And he goes, everyone reads Heat. And it, you could almost see Laurel and Hardy yeah. standing there. So, I don't know what sophisticated comedy is supposed to be, <laughs> but it's an, it seems to me to be an amalgamation of a lot of things. I've never, I never thought of that. I never thought of the Laurel and Hardy thing with extras. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, they, they, they you know, they, she plays off him like Laurel, and he's like Hardy with her. God Almighty, I've never thought of that. Yeah, it's watch it again just through yeah. those eyes, and you, you'll see it's quite clear. But I, I think he's been very honest about it because Ricky Gervais does cite Laurel and Hardy as one of his like the great, great yeah, heroes. Yeah. But I'm just saying that it's funny that in a in a mockumentary, very realistic way of acting, that actually, where do you go back to? You go back to those basics of um, yeah, absolutely. You go back to this is this. It's the nucleus of comedy, I suppose, yes, isn't it? Yes. I've seen you on stage actually, and I saw you. Uh, I think I saw you in the producers. Oh yes, and I saw you in Cabaret. Oh yes, I think Cabaret. the MC. Yes, yeah, and you're like absolutely incredible. Yeah, no, I love doing. I love doing that, especially Cabaret, because it was that was one of the first times I could do something serious. Because I, when yeah. I was meeting Rufus Norris, for it, I said, "Look, I'm not interested in doing it if you want it done like um, campy yeah. thing. I'd like to play him as a bit of a brute, and uh, because it was reimagined from the." The, the previous production had been that Sam Mendes production. That's right. It was the Alan Cumming production where Alan Cumming had made such a mark as the yeah. MC as this sort of, you know, he did it one way, which was brilliant. And, and but, I, I, but this is what we were trying to do was, was to go completely the other way. Yeah. So that, that there, there, is no, there was no comparison. Is that mine was much more of a, of a brute. That I had a lot of people coming away from there saying, oh, I really didn't, you, 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 he was really nasty yeah, and it's like, now I was thinking yeah that's what that's what you were supposed to think by yeah. the end um, I mean what I remember one night someone really got the wrong end of the stick and I came out from my curtain call and he, stood, he was in the front row and he got up and he started booing and he just would not stop <laughs> I was standing there 
sort of looking out, trying to ignore him completely as he was going, boo, boo, right in my face. <laughs> what, what, what was his, his problem? I, well, I think I, it ended very, you know, it ended with us all naked in a big um, huddle and ash fell from the yeah. sky as if we were, we were literally going into the ovens of Nazi, going into the ovens of Nazi Germany. And I think he got the wrong end of the stick. I think he thought that our production was sort of pro-Nazi. I mean, he got it completely arse about face because um, he was so angry. He was so angry because then he went up and down the line. He got out of his seat and sort of walked up in front of all of us booing. I mean, he started off booing really loudly at me because I symbolised, you know, everything that was nasty about the show. And he really went for went for us. And we all we, the only consideration, only thing we must have thought was he, he must have thought that our message was opposite to what it was. I mean, it's it's a big reaction for just not liking a performance so yeah, oh, there he must was, have been something like that there was something like that because he was furious I mean but you could tell he was furious and he was quite an old man and I, and I, I, came away, I kind of came away from it thinking oh god how awful I hope he really I hope he doesn't think we're doing a sort of oh the yeah, Nazi's yeah. great type thing because then he really missed the point yeah because it, it was a harsh production. Yeah. Like it was, like it was very mm. stark. But I, I saw you in the producers as well as, as, as Carmen Gia. Yes. And I, what I remember most, the, you know, the scene where he, he's upset and he's walking off and he's slowly, in the hand. Yeah. The amount of laughter to the point of almost a standing ovation, the amount of laughter you were getting from a finger. Like yeah. all that was on stage was your finger. <laughs> yeah. That must be extremely satisfying. <laughs> yeah, but it was also quite scary sometimes because because what I sort of learnt doing that, it took quite a while to get the timing right because sometimes if it was too fast, it wasn't funny. If it was too slow, you'd lose them. Okay. And then, and then and then you'd get to the finger at the end, and it would be people going, ha, ha, ha. and you'd think, no, that now I fucked, now I fucked it completely. So it took quite a long time and quite a lot of just doing it really slowly and trying to time it. And I'd be having the rest of the car standing behind me on the stairs um, doing things like, oh, you wanker, look at you milking the whole fucking thing. And I'd be having them behind me giving me a hard time for it. But yeah, I do remember I had a lot of fun on that show as well. That was... Um, that was the original production, wasn't it? Yeah, the, that was the, the well, the original London production. The original yeah. London, yeah, because Nathan Lane ended up transferring into it, didn't he? Well, yeah. Uh, for some reason, I, I, I still don't know the reason why, because they kept it quite quiet. Um, Richard Dreyfus, yeah, who we'd rehearsed with for a month, um, was suddenly jettisoned, which, um, much to everyone's annoyance, um, because he was terrific. Absolutely terrific. Um, to this day, uh, we, nobody knows why. Because uh, it certainly wasn't that he couldn't do it. Because uh, I was in the room with him for a month and he was doing it. And I, I, I just don't know. And who was the uh, the other character? I can't remember the actor that played him. The accountant. Oh, no. Lee Evans, you're thinking Oh, Lee about. Evans, of course. Lee Evans, yeah. He was great. <laughs> yes, yes. Lee, the mighty Lee Evans, yeah. Yeah, it, was, it really was a brilliant production. Yeah. And Nathan Lane was incredible. Oh, they too. were both, but I mean, absolutely fantastic together. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it was it was great to see him on i I'd never seen him on stage. Yeah, he's quite a tour de force, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. it was really spectacular. Yeah. Uh, and would you like to go uh, go back onto stage or do you find that a... Well, I've done, I, I have, it is a I have been doing stage on and off 
I've been doing quite a bit at the chocolate factory. I did Condeed uh, a couple of years ago. And then last year I did the Master Builder with Ray Fines at the Old Vic. So, and that was quite nice because it was doing a sort of serious part, yeah. a bit of Ibsen, three hours of Ibsen. So it'd be quite nice to go back and um, do some serious theatre because it's the only place I get offered serious parts. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it, all depend, it all depends on what happens. Um, or I might go and do something else Completely, completely different. different. Because yeah. you mentioned in your email to me that you, you consider yourself yeah. semi-retired. Yeah, semi-retired. Yeah. And what do you? What is there? Is something else stirring around in the background? Yeah, there is. Yes, to? yes, there is. Yeah, I won't say what it is, but yes, there is. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, like it is good to have that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just, uh, yeah. I mean, I just think. Cause I, I, yeah, I just not. Do you feel I, I now I will fully accept I, I do believe this I sometimes think entertainment can be a trap <laughs> I really believe that I'm, I am starting to feel that yeah that sometimes you go I've, I've had just enough you know look we have had just enough success to keep you in something you're like yeah I I, I am yeah. definitely going to stay doing this because, like I I worked for a long time while I was also doing comedy yeah so I always felt that I've had enough success that if you give it all the time in the world that then you will you, you feel like you're in the right position to go through but also if somebody was to say to you in 10 years time you'll be in the exact same position yes I would say well I, I can see how that would happen <laughs> no absolutely but I also think it's how much you're prepared to put into it I mean if you you know if you really want to be uh, you know up there and in Hollywood and doing all those things you've really got to commit to playing the game you cannot get there without Playing the game without letting yeah. them straighten your teeth, cut your hair, feel vaguely good looking, mold you into something else. You spend half your life publicising yourself. You spend the other half of your life. If you're not prepared to play the game and do that, then you're not really going to get anywhere. And I'm, I just don't have that uh, in me. I, I find it very, those awful things like uh, award ceremonies or red carpet things, you, you just think... I feel like an idiot walking down yeah. there and stopping for pictures and saying, you know, what, you know, with people, what are you wearing? What, what the fuck does it matter what they're wearing? What, you know, you know it's, it's all so silly yeah. and nonsensical that you have to sort of adapt your mind to going, okay, well, this is ridiculous. And it's whether, how much effort are you prepared to put into that? Yeah. And are you especially annoyed? Because I think that there's, there is the expectation when you're, because I mean, and I, I do get this as well, that, the, the camp persona sometimes that people see they are definitely trying to uh, shovel it out of you oh. when they meet you oh you wouldn't believe it you, well you must get uh, no, I, no I do it's, I, yeah. it, it's, it's almost like someone saying to your face after two minutes of it, talking to them going you're, you're a bit really boring you're, you're, you're very disappointing it's like yeah, yeah because yeah, you're, oh, you're nothing like you are. No, because I do something called acting. It's called acting. You know, this isn't me. This isn't me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what can you do? I mean, yeah, I get, I, it used to happen a lot. I get, used to get a lot of, uh, especially gay guys come out to me going, hey, girlfriend, how are you? Nudging me and I'd be like, don't nudge me and I'm not your girlfriend <laughs> and, they'd be, and they'd be like oh oh what's the matter with you oh dear you know yeah and <laughs> that used to happen quite a lot yeah 
But there's a joy, yeah, there is. But there's also a joy in accepting your own grumpiness as well. I, I am quite happy to revel in my own. Uh, oh yeah, I <laughs> my mean, own contact. Me too. I couldn't be grumpier most of the time. So I'm uh, more than happy to be. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, completely cantankerous and. <laughs> You I just think that comes with age. Yeah, absolutely. I think it does. And I think it's like you've earned that right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, uh, well, James, it's been absolutely fantastic. It's been a lot of fun. You. Thank you very yeah. much. It's been lovely talking to you as well. <laughs> he is such a lovely guy. That was the fantastic James Dreyfus there. Mount Pleasant has just finished on Sky but it's on DVD and so is Gimme 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 and The Thin Blue Line. You can also catch episodes from, let's call it, The Complete Bet on YouTube. A big thanks to James and to everyone at the Headstuff Podcast Network. You can follow James on Twitter at Dreyfus James and Headstuff at This Headstuff or at HS Pod Network. If you're a fan of this show, you might have also heard my interview with the fabulous Shelley Poole back in episode 23. She was in the band Alicia's Attic and is now in Red Sky July. Well, Red Sky July have just released an EP of radio mixes of tracks from their album The Truth and the Lie. The first one is Dodge and we spoke about Dodge on the interview with Shelley. You can get Red Sky July radio mixes EP on iTunes and it's bloody great. And I'll just talk about it It's time to wise up And get the hell out of If you like this podcast, it would be great if you could share it with somebody who otherwise might not hear it. Fascinated at headstuff.org if you want to get in touch and you can follow me at Garode Farrelly. There will be a new episode soon and it... Oh, it's a good one. Yes, um, I will put clues on Twitter. Yes, this is actually very cool. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed and you won't miss it. Thanks for listening. Interview techniques number one. If you get something wrong, pretend you know that you got it wrong, and then when they correct you, say the same thing straight after them and pretend that that's what you were thinking of all along. Do you remember what you did for your audition? I do, yeah. I did uh, Iago. Oh, from... From... uh, No, No, from um, Othello. You know, I will not be judged for this. I will have you know I have a first-class MA in (sighs) theatre. Worth every penny. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The roar of our engines, the pump of our heartbeats, the pedal to our metal, the sparks that ignite us, the pistons that push us, the passions that drive us. From the feelings that move us to the places that pull us on the roads that unite us. With nearly 6,000 stores and over 17,000 auto care centers, Napa has America's largest network of parts and care. Here to keep you firing on all cylinders. Napa!